it's time for another 99th episode. Coming up, right after this intro music. Good. Well, I have a feeling that this episode is going to be a lot of this and that, another smorgasbord of what we've been doing, because it's been a while since we talked, but... Yeah, I ditched me. Ditched me for Comic-Con. I did. I um, <laughs> and probably will always make that choice, just a heads up. That's <laughs> yeah, it's an acceptable choice. Comic-Con is my... It's like my Disneyland. Yeah. It's my happiest place on Earth. Even when it's just a special edition, it is. I've only been to two Comic-Cons, and it's been quite a long time, but I think I already know, especially now that I'm not collecting you know, comics to look through like back issue bins or something, what I like the best is having an artist that I want to meet and get a, a commission done from. Like, if I've even won, then I'm good. Hmm, okay, cool. I uh, don't really get commissions anymore. I started a sketchbook at some point, and I think I got about five drawings in it, but it just for some reason wasn't resonating with me as a way I really like to interact with the hobby. Yeah, plus if you do too many, then it dilutes it. Um, like I was actually thinking about that because somebody shared some artist on Twitter that they're nobody that's like you know known from comics or anything, but just somebody doing commissions, and they were really cheap. Um, they were having a Christmas deal. I was like, this is pretty good. And there's been some stuff I've kind of, kind of wanted, you know, I'm, I'm, I was going one way with, with decorating my office and then with backtracking on comics, I got to kind of figure out what I want to do. So anyways, I ended up, uh, he, he had this deal where you could get, um, an inked five by seven drawing for like 20 bucks. And, but you get a free, same size, but just a pencil, like pencil head sketch. So like, I'll give this a shot. That's cheap enough that I'll just take a shot on it. So I got for the head sketch. I asked for uh shredder. Cause it's like, okay, that's one more thing I could add to the different Ninja Turtle drawings I have up on my walls. And then I was like, what do I want for the other one? Cause I don't want to just like load up on Ninja Turtle drawings from the same person. Um, so I ended up asking him to do uh, a picture of Brett the Hitman Hart because I've gotten more into wrestling over the last, I don't know, since I've gotten really into AEW basically because it's really good. And like going back and watching, like Bret Hart was my favorite and going back and rewatching his stuff, like there's a good reason. Like he was really good at what he did. It's not even just like I was a kid and liked him. Like going back, he really was the best. So I was like, you know, that would be a good thing to get. So, um, he's shared his progress with me and, oh my gosh, it looks good. Like he's done real good. But anyways, like it got me thinking cause then I ended up, um, he offered, he, he had been doing like, uh, example head sketches and he ended up inking them and then offering them for 10 bucks to anybody who wanted one. He did it. He had done a Ninja Turtle one. So I snagged that cause I was like, okay, I mean, 10 bucks for a nice Ninja Turtle drawing can't go wrong there. And then I asked him to do one more wrestling one for me. So I'm going to have four pieces to put up by him. And it's re- it could be a really easy slippery slope to just keep on getting more and more from somebody when you like their work, plus they do a good job. But at a certain point, you dilute the the value of it. You know, it's like if you have more things to put up than you have space, then 
it's just a bunch of stuff again, you know? Yeah. So I, I've been conscious of that. I definitely understand how, especially, I mean, commissions aren't cheap. It may be cheaper than getting, like, original art, but then original art also has... The reason original art's more expensive is it's it's linked to something that was published, so it has a different kind of collector's value, even if you just put it away. Yeah, that's why I tell myself I don't buy a lot of original art, <laughs> or at least that sounds mm-hmm. like a good excuse for me <laughs> to use. <laughs> Because I don't have a lot of original art. I have four nice pieces, three of which are up and framed. I, I mean, the one thing that you have that's awesome, even if it... Uh, and it may have been published, like, just as an image in one of the comics, but that Matt Kent, uh, you know, Japan for Ride is just amazing. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I... I, I I have I mean it's not like I have nothing I've I've accumulated a little bit of stuff over the I don't know tenish years that I've been into comic stuff, but some of the pieces I have like are really cool and it's not like they're anything crazy like I got a Matt Kent very very small drawing he had a deal it's kind of weird so he has like H E K Studios with um, Brian Hurt and I always forget the the lady's name that's with them um, because I don't know her work from other stuff. So it slips my mind. Um, I'm looking forward to finally getting the, the Kickstarter book that they did. Um, Me that's too. It's been like two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be worth it. Like I, that's, that's why I don't do many Kickstarters, but I'm like, okay, that's, I think it's supposed to ship in like February now. Anyways, tangent there. But anyways, so Brian Hurt, what, you know, like he was selling different stuff for Brian Hurt I think it was when Brian Hurt was going through something health-wise or something like that. And so he Matt Kent was selling it on his store, and everything was signed by Brian, but then Matt offered uh, to do a sketch in the cover of any book you bought. So I ended up buying uh, a whole set of the Six Gun, and they're, uh, but they're trade paperbacks. And instead of doing a sketch in a trade gun? paperback... Yeah. Okay. I'm just... Yeah, it's bright... Brian Hurt does the art for it. Oh, okay. So All right. Matt yeah. Kent has nothing to do with it. Brian Hurt does the art for it. Yeah, Matt that's that's why I was uh, thrown off. I, I forgot that Brian Hurt did the art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Matt didn't do a sketch of one of the books. He just did a little, like, I don't know, probably four by six color sketch of one of the characters. Cool. And so I framed that and put it up. It's, it's awesome. It was a thing that came for free with this ridiculously good deal anyways. And... Like, that's just an example of it's like, it doesn't have to be big and fancy, but I love Matt Kent and it's really cool for me to have a piece that he did. Yeah, that is cool. We got to get you to more comic conventions. I get some in Maine. I, (laughs) yeah, well, the New England's pretty small. I bet you could get down to maybe something in Boston. That can't be too far for you, right? Now that my son's older, stuff is more possible. When he was younger, it was just really hard to do anything, to be honest. Um, like, just family dynamic, and he was special needs. He's come a long way with that, so it's like the a lot of the d- things that were very difficult until he developed um, s- some things that he was behind on um, just made everything more difficult. It's like, life was always hard. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of the reason that it was just hard to get away to do anything. The last convention I went to was in New Hampshire. It was uh, Granite State Con or Granite Con, whatever they call it. And I went there. It was the year after my first convention where I met J.K. Woodward in Portland. And he invited me to come and use his guest pass one day because he didn't have anybody to use it. So I went down there and just hung out with him, basically. And 
I set up to get a commission from C.P. Wilson, who was there, who he's done a bunch of different stuff, but he had been doing some work on Ninja Turtle stuff. So I got a Bebop and Rocksteady from him. That's still one of my favorite things. But yeah, so it's been a while, but like there's a Granite State Con or Granite Con, whatever it's called, every year. That's a possibility. Uh, there's the one in Boston, but like one thing I definitely know about myself is I do not like huge crowds of people. Hmm. So like the big ones, I don't want anything to do with it. Like, you know, San Diego, I wouldn't want to. Like even if I could, I, I would I would have uh I would have difficulty going to that. Okay, interesting. I, I love the big crowds. Well, I mean, I guess to a point, because San Diego is known for being overly crowded. There's portions mm-hmm. of the show floor where you can just barely shuffle along because it's so crowded. But what was nice about this special edition that was just a couple weeks ago is that it wasn't very crowded. It was a lot more spaced out. And the attendance was a lot lower. It was much more similar to just a smaller local convention than a a San Diego Comic-Con, what it usually is. It reminded me more of something like Long Beach Comic-Con, which is basically just a a smaller Southern California show where it's all just Southern California dealers for the most part and uh, not too big and like the kind of show that you can see everything in a day, which we did. You you know, we we saw everything on the show floor in one day, uh, which is which is great as far as timing goes. Usually yeah. San Diego Comic-Con, it takes a couple days to really walk through everything and, and check out everything properly, unless you're just just breezing past it in the fastest of ways. Uh, but most of all, it was just so nice to be in a convention again because it's been two years or more for me since I've been in a comic book convention and uh, they had a protocol where you either had to show proof of vaccine or a negative test within the previous 72 hours before the show. Mm-hmm. And they required masks indoors inside of the convention hall at all times. And there was extremely high compliance with that, which I was almost shocked at how high the compliance was. The only time I didn't see people with masks is like if they're kind of sitting at a table by themselves, uh, taking a break or a food break or something like that. But just walking around the show floor, nearly everybody had their mask on and even had it on properly. (laughs) I was amazed, (laughs) like over the mouth and the nose. And uh, I know that um, for us, that was something that helped us uh, feel a bit more comfortable in the situation was just that that high level of compliance with that. It made it much more enjoyable because if it hadn't been for that, I think we would have been uh, pretty uncomfortable because L.A. County has had a mask mandate basically continuously. So we're used to masks being required anywhere indoors we go to. It's, It's just strange to see people not wearing masks for us. Yeah, you know, when when you keep the habit it's easier too. Like I've I've always leaned towards whatever is the safest thing to do, the you know, the thing that's going to protect people the most. So, and you know, my job we we have to wear a mask and when they broke the the habit of it by not requiring it everywhere, now it's like it's still not required here, 
but things are picking up again. You know, you're going into the illness season of the year and, and all that. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's like before they, they broke the, you need to do this thing. I had no problem wearing it everywhere. And I saw, I have no, no issues with wearing it, but whether I choose to wear it or not is like, it's just kind of in the wind for me. It's not even like I'm consciously choosing, no, I'm not going to, or yes, I'm going to. It's just kind of like, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And there's not really a rhyme or reason, which is like, I, this is all me making these decisions. And it's just kind of odd to me that like, I don't, I don't know how, which way to feel compelled. I just don't feel like compelled like either way right now. It's just, it feels odd. Like I wish, I wish they just would have stuck with it because it's, you and you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So, mm. like, getting everybody to do it. Like, I'll do it, no problem. Like, we had a... We were given a period at work where if we were vaccinated, it was optional. And I stopped wearing it for a while then because that's, you know, like, what we were told was, yeah. was fine. Gotta trust the vaccine. Um, yeah, exactly. And then when we had to start wearing it again, okay, no problem. Just, you know, wearing it, no problem. So, I don't know. Like, it feels weird to not feel strongly one way or the other when I go, like, in a store or something like that. But I do like if I'm going into a, a independent business or a, a small, you know, area of a business, like you know, a store that has a small footprint, I'll always wear a mask going in and then kind of see what's going on in there. And if I go in there and you know the people working there aren't wearing a mask, then I might take it off. Um, but even then, if it's you know crowded or something like that, I might just keep it on because then I feel safer around people. Yeah. Anyway, it <sighs> did help a lot. To make it a, a really nice, comfortable show. There weren't a lot of dealers and vendors there. And you, you could tell that it seemed like a show that was kind of scrambled to be put together pretty quickly. Uh-huh. Because it, it was a lot of... like I can It was like I could count the number of comic book dealers on one hand <laughs> that, that were there. And that's not quite true. There were more comic dealers than that. But in terms of the number of people that brought big booths with a lot of back issues it was maybe five or six booths or something like that yeah and i was still able to buy a couple x-men books which was good i didn't leave empty-handed because i always like to buy at least a couple x-men books because that's the primary place where i fill out my collection is at comic conventions so that was nice to actually grow my collection even if it's just by like five or six books and uh, yeah. it was, I, I just really like that atmosphere of being in a comic convention. I just like being in this place where everybody's enjoying this a similar thing. Everyone's brought there for a similar reason. Everyone's enjoying the same thing. It's just feels good to be there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to be able to get back to that stuff, especially after so long and not, not having it. Yeah. And most of all, I think that what I enjoyed about the experience is I had two different groups of friends that went to the show. So I had some of my old local Valiant comic buddies went to the show. And also some of my other just Southern California comic buddies went to the show. And so I was able to spend some time with my friends. And that's what was really great. And I was able to, you know go out to lunch with people, go out to dinner with people, hang out afterwards, grab a couple beers with friends after the show and and all of that. That was very much in in full swing. And 
that I think is one of the things I like the most about conventions is for me, they become social events where I get to see people that I mostly just see at comic conventions. And it's interesting that all these people I've met like either through Twitter or forums or stuff like that. And we just somehow decided, oh, yeah, everyone is going to hang out at this place or whatever. And so we meet up and we meet each other. We become friends and we stay in touch. And it's so satisfying to see those real life friendships evolve out of that. And that to me is it's like the best of this whole new world of social media and stuff like that is the ability to create real tangible friendships with people out of just kind of passingly knowing somebody just from like online or something like that. Yeah, definitely. One thing I've found with that over the years and learning how to, you know, have those friendships and what they mean, like you have to have something in common to connect over. And when those things change, sometimes you stop talking to those friends because you don't have something to talk about. And some, like with some friends, you like, it, it ends up over time, not mattering. Like you can still be friends, even if you know, like Valiant's a good example. So like, I made a lot of friends around Valiant cause everybody was so hyped up over it. And as time went on, like I've discovered the people that were friends because we had Valiant to talk about. And then as we both lost interest in Valiant, as it became a heartless, soulless company, um, (laughs) but but as it shifted from what it was that drew us in uh, to to what it is now, not that the people there are heartless and soulless, just the company that bought them, we, we, we don't really have a reason to talk anymore. And so kind of realizing that at first is like, oh, you know, so-and-so doesn't, doesn't really talk to me anymore having that kind of like a feeling of loss and then realizing, well, this isn't the type of friendship that, you know, is a in-person friendship where it does hurt a little more when you have a friend and then suddenly they just kind of drift away, you know? So it kind of make having that realization, but then there's other people that, you know, my friendship with them started out of Valiant and they may even still care about Valiant. They may not. I don't really care about Valiant anymore. So I don't have that to tie it together anymore. Um, like I just texted one friend I hadn't talked to in a while just to say hi, cause it's been a while and it's like, you can kind of chit chat a little bit and keep in touch and it doesn't have to be something big, you know? Um, it's like, there's a cliche, I guess that, uh, you know, they say like when you're really good friends with somebody, you could spend time together. You don't even have to talk. You could just be there together. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of, that's kind of the line. Like if you have to have something to connect over, then it's just that like acquaintance type of friendship centered around something. If you could just hang out and you don't have to talk about whatever that thing is, that's when it's kind of turned into a different kind of friendship. That's just about, you know, having that connection with somebody. It's funny. You, you said that it made me think of something. One of my friends said over this weekend, I forget the context in which he said it, but he was essentially making a point that, well, I'm a man. So most of my friendships revolve around some kind of shared interest. And I think that that is pretty true is that for men a lot of times that's the way our our friendships start or develop is because of some sort of common interest and then it's up to us to 
evolve it past that and you know make it a more of a a friendship based on just kind of knowing the other person and and being interested and involved with their lives and vice versa and enjoying spending time together regardless of what the shared interests are but i think that that is a way that a lot of friendships start and the i think that one thing that i found is really great about comic conventions is that they bring us together and create those friendships. And that is something I was reminded of this weekend is just that I feel like comics can bring us together if we just let them. That's, that's kind of my big high level take on it. And if you're open to meeting new people and making friends with people that comics is such a wonderful avenue to do that yeah i i think when you go into it with uh with a genuine attitude of wanting to enjoy something and share it with people all you can get is positive out of it and if you go into it with um with a different kind of attitude of you know I don't know, like trying to find too much identity out of it, maybe where you get that. Uh, I mean, the gatekeeping mentality, right? Like, okay, th- this is how I identify myself, so it needs to be this. And anybody who wants to approach it in a different way is wrong because I've now kind of like tied this to myself too much. Then it doesn't, you know, it's like you miss out on so much. Yeah, like when you go into it with that just positive, like I want to enjoy this thing. Um, then like there's just good, you know. I was reading. Uh, uh, the Demon Bear, New Mutants trade paperback, well, digitally, Ooh, yeah. so it's not paperback, but yeah. So I was reading that, and um, once I got into the Bill Sinkovich stuff, I'm enjoying it more, because the art before that was just very... Is Bob McCloud, right? Did the art starting off early? Uh, that sounds right. It just, like, there's, it just feels like nothing. It feels yeah, just like, you just know... Yeah, it's just kind of, like, kind of generic Marvel house yeah. style, 80s Exactly, style. yeah, that hits it. You know, and, and the writing, like one thing I'm kind of realizing now that I've stepped away from from X-Men stuff for a while is uh, Chris Claremont did a lot of really good stuff, but still his writing style can get kind of tedious. Um, I was just going to say <laughs> he's a bit tedious at times. <laughs> yeah. And and New Mutants, especially starting out that way, it's it's not like it doesn't feel like he went into that with any like grand idea of doing something amazing. It was just writing a book and it's like kind of like see where it goes. Um, but anyways, like my my point I'm getting at with this is reading that I realize like I'm not crazy about it. Like it's fine, but I'm not crazy about it. Whereas like when I was really getting into the X Men, I was getting pretty crazy about it for a while. And but you know everything around that, if I like I can read that and be like, eh, I'm not really feeling it right now, but still enjoy it and still enjoy talking to you about it and other people that are excited about it. And you know, I mean, I have multiple friends on Twitter, uh, including you, that are focused on collecting the X-Men right now and reading the X-Men, even if not right this moment, you know, in the recent past, you were pushing through a big X-Men read through and other friends are and stuff like that. And, you know, rather than see you post about reading new mutants and be like, yeah, I didn't like that. And like wanting to take something away from the conversation, seeing how you enjoy it and what you enjoyed about it. Like I can either interact with it with what I did experience, or I can look for those things when I'm experiencing it. I think that kind of mentality and attitude, like they're just, like you said, there's so much to enjoy 
if we're going into it with that, like, you know, genuine attitude and that love for what we're doing and, you know, wanting to add positively to other people, there's just so much good there. Yeah. So I guess my recommendation is let comics foster friendships with people. Also, New Mutants gets even better once Louis Simonson starts writing it in, I think, the 50s or so. That it really takes off. Awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> just a side note on that. <laughs> I'll see if I know. So I've been trying to read down my comicsology, uh, massive, massive pile up of stuff that I haven't read. So I have over 900 things still unread on Comixology. So do I, but half of them are Scooby-Doo, thanks to yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> hundreds of those are Scooby-Doo, uh, and hundreds of those are Black Panther from when yep. they were giving away, like, every Black Panther book. So, But still, that leaves probably 500 things or so, maybe a little bit less, that, like, I intentionally got. I mean, a lot of those are probably free things, too, but I'm trying to work through them and whittle it down because... With how I'm reading things differently, I'm realizing there's some stuff I would be absolutely happy to just buy digitally because all I want to do is read it. And I don't want to have to find it, you know, buy it in physical condition and then not want to keep it because my bookshelves are filling up and trade it in for, for you know, way less than I got for it, which is still like a better option than just being stuck with it or getting rid of it. But so I want to like whittle down my, uh, you know, my stockpile of stuff. So I started with, I had like nine things active on, uh, you know, that I had started reading on Comixology, and that book was one of them. Another one that I had finished finally was uh, the first uh, Wonder Woman omnibus from uh, George Perez, and that was really good. So I finished that one, and I'm, I'm pushing into that, and so that, that's why I'm reading it right now, anyways, long story short. But one of the things I've kind of realized lately, and this is, this is one of the things I wanted to come in and talk about today, is especially when it comes to purchasing stuff, uh, but even reading stuff, I've realized that I went through getting really hooked on certain creators. And specifically right now, Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent are the two that when I started recognizing creators and seeking out their other work, I just really loved everything that they were doing. So if they were on anything, you know, if if they were writing a book, um, and most of it with them would be creator-owned stuff, I would just get it. And especially right now... I've realized how much as I found like a breadth of stuff to enjoy, like how much I uh, have changed in that regards. And the other day I was at uh, bull moose and they had like, you know, how Jeff Lemire, the, um, Oh gosh, I just totally blanked on the title. The big, uh, um, dark horse, black hammer. Book that, yeah. Black hammer. Thank you. Totally blanked on that. It's like the easiest thing to remember. It just slipped my mind right when I was going to say it. So his uh, Black Hammer universe, he has those nice big hardcovers collecting everything coming out, right? And they're like $50 hardcover books. And I found three of them at Bull Moose used for 19 bucks. And I almost just did what I used to would have done and just automatically gone like, I'm going to buy these. Mm-hmm. But I grabbed them and I held them and I looked at them and I thought about it. And I can read them anytime I want right now on Hoopla because they're available on that. I bought a bunch of it on Comixology also. Like, I know there's ways to access reading it when I want to, and I've read a bunch of it. And I just stopped and thought about it. I was like, this is good stuff, but, like, why do I want these books? I'm going to buy them, and I'm going to take them home, and I'm going to put them on my bookshelf, and I'm they're going to sit there. And I don't, know, I don't honestly know if I'm going to read them. Like, I'm not in the mood to read them right now. This is a great deal, but it, it just kind of hit me that, you know, before anything Jeff Lemire... I would want to get 
And the first time that broke was when he was doing stuff for Marvel, and I realized I didn't really care for a lot of his Marvel stuff. Um, it wasn't what I loved about him. Uh, and same thing with Matt Kent, where, you know, like we just talked about a little bit ago, mentioned the HEK uh, Kickstarter. I'm excited about getting that. But then other stuff he's come out with that's been fine, it's been good to read. Um, like Bang is a good example. I enjoyed reading that. I wasn't crazy about it, though, and I'm not going to go get a hardcover collection of it or something like that. But kind of coming to the realization that, like, I don't need everything from a creator, and a lot of the stuff that they make, like, it, it's not even a must-read for me anymore. The thing about creators is they always create more stuff, <laughs> and that keeping up with a creator it can start to snowball because there's always more and more and more out there and it's i think kind of funny to say but you that's why i I stopped buying valiant comics as floppies because they just kept coming out with more of them every month and (laughs) i just didn't want that many objects just it, it didn't matter what they were. I just didn't want that many physical objects. And so I switched to, well, I'll buy these digitally and I'll buy the deluxe hardcovers and I'll have access to them that way. And I was able to still read them as they came out because um, with like media review copies. And so that kind of was, was one experience of me um, going through that. I think though also... I'm finding my thoughts on this change with how available stuff is digitally. And this is kind of tying in, I think, both of your points that you're making for me. And I have something, uh, a similar story that I'm, I'm getting to. Because when I started buying books, especially like hardcovers and trade paperbacks, that was the way to get the story. 20 years ago, there wasn't digital comics and if there was any it was exceedingly rare it was like buy this cd-rom of (laughs) these issues of x-men or something like that you know and so buying collections was the way to read stuff so if i wanted a nice library of stuff just to read i had to buy tons of trade paperbacks and now as a result i have five long boxes of trade paperbacks and i have two bookshelves full of hardcover books And I'm uh, thinking, whoa, this has gotten a bit out of hand. (laughs) So I really think a lot harder now about, is this something that I really need the object of, or is it something that I just want to read that I can read digitally? And where this recently came up for me is with Hawkeye, actually. Because there's this new Hawkeye series on Disney+, Plus, which is great by the way i think it's, i haven't watched it yet but i actually am excited to watch that it is i think probably the marvel tv show that i've enjoyed the most just in terms of just a sheer sheer how fun and enjoyable it is it's just it, it's really great really good characters well done action it has small stakes which makes it seem more important You know, it's not, can we save the universe from destruction from the giant blue beam in the sky? It's, oh no, can we stop these Russian mobsters from, 
he, he, throwing a Molotov cocktail into my apartment <laughs> or whatever, you know? And so it, it ends up because it's smaller stakes and it's less powerful people because it's, it's Hawkeye. It's basically, it's two people that have exceptional skills with a bow and arrow, uh, but it's, it seems to be pulling very heavily from the Matt Fraction and David Aja run of Hawkeye. And I have never read that. That's a big hole in my collection. But I bought that hardcover omnibus years ago when it came out because I'd heard it so good. And I thought, well, I'm definitely going to want to read this. And that was, again, in those days when digital was kind of just starting to be a little more prominent. But still, I was buying stuff in physical format. So I bought that hardcover. And it's been sitting on my shelf unopened for five, six years now or so because I just left it in the shrink wrap figuring well I'll open it when I want to read it so I pulled it out to read it and I thought well I can buy I can just read this on Marvel Unlimited so why do I need to read it in this hardcover because I think for that series the the experience is largely the same I think having having it on paper versus having it on a screen doesn't add too much to that one I think so I just decided well I'm just going to sell the hardcover and read it digitally and enjoy it that way and that way I'll also free up some space on my bookshelf so that's uh, what I decided to do and while I was doing that I also noticed oh here's another hardcover I don't need oh and here's another one (laughs) that I really don't need (laughs) so (laughs) it helped me to whittle down it's like uh, it's like Kerplunk. Have you ever played Kerplunk? I the game with the marbles and you pull the little sticks out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like Kerplunk. You go like, oh, I I really don't need this book, and you pull the stick out, and then a bunch of marbles fall. It's like that. You I I don't need this, so you take it out. And then you realize, oh well, now that I've said that that this isn't something that I need, these things are actually lower on the threshold than that, and they just can fall too. Like, it's amazing how when you start realizing you don't need to own things, how much it really makes you realize that you don't need other things and you don't lose anything by getting rid of them. Um, it's really funny, though, that choose that as an example, because that's uh, one of the very few Marvel things that I own because I love that series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also looked it up. So um, he uh, he's from Spain and his last name is pronounced Aha. But uh, I I Googled it because I knew that uh, I had seen somewhere before that it was Aha, not Aja. um, And I was curious about it. And this is a quote from him. He says, ah, well, it's a long story. But here in Spain, we pronounce it Aha. But also here in Spain, my first name isn't pronounced David, it's uh, David. Uh, With my last name, I don't really know. Some people call me Aja or Aha or Aja. As long as you say something good about me, it's okay. <laughs> I really liked that quote. People get so caught up over pronunciations, and I think it's funny when people, you know, I mean, obviously, we, we want our name to be said right, but, like, if you're a creator, like, if somebody's talking about your work, that's what matters. So, you know, like, when other people get defensive about, you need to pronounce this right, like, I didn't know how to pronounce Sinkovich for a long time, and somebody finally cor- corrected me, and that has stuck in my head. But why, like, why would I feel bad about having talked about his work and maybe got other people to know who the heck he is before? As yeah, I, don't know, I think that's funny. But I liked his quote there, so I wanted to share it. So I'm just gonna say, I love the art, just so that I'm saying something nice about <laughs> David, <laughs> David. Aha. 
as I butcher his name. As somebody who has a last name that nobody ever pronounces correctly, I can relate. How do you pronounce your last name? Neprude. Yeah, I wouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the the easiest way to explain it is that it's in the the cadence and emphasis of Neptune. All right, Sean Neptune. That's what I'm going to call you from now on. Oh uh, well, yeah, well, okay. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my my last name is funny too because it's it's spelled so like the way it probably should be pronounced is Tessanier. That's actually how it's spelled. So like if you you know think out phonetically, that's how you would say it. That's how I would say it too. Yeah. yeah, and 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 like I say, Tessner, because that's how I grew up with my family saying it. My dad's family's from like uh, stems from Alabama, and like we have a picture of somebody in the family had a like a barber shop, and they actually put their name on the barber shop as T E S N E R to simplify it. But like, however people say it, like what gets me is when people throw completely different letters in there. Like I I get Teffler, and it's like. You can at least look at the letters in the name, you know, <laughs> instead of just like... That's one thing that I've also realized is that mispronunciation happens to everyone Yeah. because my wife's maiden name is Thomas, about as normal uh, of a, a name as it gets. And she has told me that people like going into Starbucks or something and writing down the order, like we'll screw up Thomas somehow, <laughs> which just seems unheard of. And so I think that it's, it doesn't matter how normal or strange your name is. People are going to mispronounce it no matter what. Yeah. Even with a common name, like some people just, they, it's not familiar to them because they don't know people with that name. My best story with this, one time years ago now, I went into Wendy's with a friend of mine, and the cashier was this kid who obviously was scared to death, you know, had to have been new and hardly knowing, know, knew what he was doing, and he asked my name. My name is Paul, and he says, oh, that's an odd name, <laughs> and I was like, I didn't even say anything, but I was like, that cracked me up, because... Paul's a very, very, very common name. But then also, I, I you know, I, I can reflect on it. Now I know more Pauls, but growing up, I actually knew very, very few Pauls. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you just, you never know. But like that one, it, it was a really funny story, but it also just kind of, you know, just like you said, your wife with the name Thomas, like that's a, that's a common name, but you know, get people getting bent out of shape about uh, those things being wrong. If people are putting in the effort, that should be what matters. Sure. Um, yeah. Back to the collecting thing, though. Back the, to the, the collecting thing. On, yeah. on artists and Not all. Not the name creators. cast. This is the nerd cast. Yeah, nerd, names can be pretty nerdy, I guess. I, we probably uh, maybe made if people your think name we is much Einstein. <laughs> so, uh, as you well know, I started reading manga about a year and a half ago, and I've gotten into that. And one of the things I've learned over the year and a half of discovering what things I like and then liking a series and then discovering that a lot of it's hard to find because availability with things in manga goes very differently than availability with uh, mainstream comics. And there's some things that aren't available digital, too. Like one of my favorite manga creators will not allow his stuff to be published digitally. When I did kind of realize how hard this stuff could be to get, if there was something that I got a taste of that I really liked... I would, like, try to find every volume of it while I could. So I have quite a few series where I have the whole thing and have 
hardly read it or not even read it yet. Uh, the last one that I got is one called A Bride Story. And I got the first volume from the library. And the art's just wonderful in this book. And I read it. So I started looking around. And I realized that a lot of the volumes weren't readily available everywhere. But they were available if you looked around. So I ended up being like, okay, I liked the first volume of this enough that I'm pretty sure I want to read all 12. And I, I feel like I want to own them. Uh, so I can have a physical copy to, to read and look at because I think I'll revisit it. And uh, so I sold my Switch Lite to be able to buy 12 volumes of this book. So it's it's really funny being in this place where I, this, you know, this different dynamic with, with manga, I think, has made me realize with um, with creators that I just I really like their stuff. It's like even at that good price, like I could have spent 60 bucks on three Jeff Lemire books that are nice, but I don't really have any drive to read them. Or I could spend 60 bucks on a bunch of books that I haven't read before that I feel very excited about reading. And honestly, even if I read them and I don't love them and don't want to keep them, I could still trade them in or whatever afterwards. That's that's great and all, but I, I'm a little concerned, Paul. Yeah. First it was Mermaid Saga, and now it's the the Bridesmaid something or another. What no, kind of manga? Story. The bride <laughs> story. What kind of manga are you reading here? This is good stuff. So, Mermaid Saga is uh, is created by Rumiko Takahashi, and it's basically a horror manga, but not like totally horror. So, what it is is if you eat the flesh of a mermaid, you might gain uh, immortality. Basically, like you can be killed, but like you don't you don't age, you don't die unless like you get killed in the way that can actually kill you. But Here's the catch is you also might just get killed by it if you eat mermaid flesh and you also might turn into a monster. So it's a it's a bunch of of basically like little horror stories. It's a really good book. There's two volumes. I I grabbed both of them after hearing about them. Uh, And that got me kind of opened up to Rumiko Takahashi. And she's done a bunch of different stuff. Um, Inuyasha is probably the best known one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know Inuyasha. Yeah, I'm I'm reading the second volume of that, and it's enjoyable. But like, I've definitely learned like manga has also helped me kind of realize why I'm less drawn to mainstream stuff. There's a, a manga podcast I listen to, and they made the point that um, when stuff is made for mainstream, they polish away the edges to make it more widely approachable. But those edges are the really interesting pieces of art that I'm drawn to. So when something gets polished so that way more people will like it, it's losing the pieces that that are what really draw me in. So something like Mermaid Saga Mm -hmm. where it doesn't have – it's not polished. Like it's quirky. It's interesting. You know, there's like a lot of craziness to it. In Ayasha, it's good, but like it has those kind of edges polished away. So like that was kind of insightful to me about why I like stuff and why I'm less drawn to mainstream anything. But so she's done that. She's she also does one uh, called uh, Mason Okoku that is like a boarding house, and that's like kind of relationship drama kind of stuff. And I read the first volume of that, and it was pretty good. But like, I have the second volume. I'm gonna read it, but I'm not gonna keep on buying it because I, you know, it's not not something I think I want to collect. Uh, but it's really like interesting how it's like this one creator can kind of be all over the place. Like the one book I really love and I bought the two volumes. And I'm glad I did. And then I bought some of this and that from some of her other stuff. And it's all hitting me kind of different. Um, a Bride Story is uh, is uh, like a historical epic that has uh, a lot of historical accuracy. Um, it takes place 
and I may be a little bit off on this, but I think it's like 1700s in like a Middle Eastern country um, where a bride is, you know, like family's like, okay, my daughter's going to marry your son. Here, I'm giving her to you, basically, type of a deal, right? Like, you okay. know, we're familiar with those kind of stories. So she's 20, so she's kind of past the age of being a, a good bride from the let's make connections and get some value out of this point from the family. So they, they give her to a 12-year-old to be his wife. Um, and I've just read the first volume so far, and I guess, like, as it goes on, like, you, there's different characters that it focuses on. But it just, like, it was such a good book. Like, the art's beautiful. But this, uh, you know, this this 20-year-old bride is, you know, she comes from a, a, a tribe or whatnot that, like, she knows how to hunt and do all this other stuff. And, like, it's just, it's like watching kind of a historical drama. It's really good. But yeah, so that that's the last one that I decided to jump in with both feet on. So it's really funny to me that I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I don't need to buy everything that Matt Kent does. Oh, but, you know, I liked one volume of this book. Let me buy all 12. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, that's cool. You're, it's it's nice to find stuff you like, right? That's always yeah. fun. And find new stuff it. that you, you like. That's a lot of where the fun is, you know? It's And that's, I always really enjoy finding something new. It feels like a rejuvenation somehow, you know, yeah. like it, it was like, wow, I love comics again. Is <laughs> sometimes how it feels. And that's really fun. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, like there were things that I was enjoying, but then getting the perspective of here's this, I mean, it's been a year and a half and I still feel like manga is new because I'm still finding things because it's, it opened up this whole untapped category of different categories, I guess, you know, it's, I mean, like I got you reading Junji Ito. And that's like its its whole own thing, you know? And then there's other horror manga that's totally different than that. And yeah, I mean, horror just in, as a genre in general is a good example. Like, I always thought I didn't like horror. And then over time, I kind of realized, like, well, I like this, and I like this, and I like this. It's like, I actually think I like horror. I just don't like gore. Hmm. And mm-hmm. that, that that made me start looking for more horror stuff. And I discovered stuff like um, Harrow County, you know, by Colin Bunn. And uh, Tyler Crook is the artist. It's really good. Yeah, cool. I've been watching this new Wheel of Time show. Heard of that? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a interesting show because it's just. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll I'll back up. So Wheel of Time is a giant fifteen book epic fantasy series that starts off kind of as a ripoff of Lord of the Rings, but then quickly spins out into being its own thing. It's a very well fully realized world that is created and it has tons and tons of characters almost too many characters to keep track of and uh, the books sometimes spiral into minutiae that just it doesn't really matter and so it's like you could just not read half of the contents of the books and still get the full story <laughs> it, like <laughs> by just skipping the the page about what the person is wearing or the dialogue about nothing inconsequential about some far off land that isn't really relevant or something like that or the conversation between two minor characters that have no bearing on the story whatsoever in any way but the meat that's on the bones is really really great and the show is kind of streamlining it. And that, I think, is really excellent. Because it seems like so far the book is, the or the show in the first five episodes, has 
almost gone past the first book in terms of what it's doing. It seems like it's leaving out some stuff in the first book, mashing it with stuff that happens in the second book to just kind of speed along the story quite a bit. It's almost like they're, they know that they're not going to get 15 seasons of this thing. So they're not doing like one book per season. It Mm -hmm. seems like there are planning for this to, you know, hopefully go for three or four seasons and so they're kind of combining the first three books into a season and then who knows what they'll do for the next few books to ram those into a season i guess we'll kind of find out and uh so it's it's pretty enjoyable it's fun seeing this book series adapted and it's uh it, it's just a i guess a very streamlined version of it which is which is great there's some things that are kind of generic about it. Some things I am kind of like take it or leave it. Like I think it feels very generic fantasy TV show-ish at times, especially like with action and stuff. Like it does the action thing where it's all shaky cam to make it seem more exciting, <laughs> which I <laughs> just, I really, really hate because I feel like it just turns it into visual gobbledygook that makes no sense. And it's if there's one thing that I could stop all TVs and movies from doing, it's shaky cam during action scenes. Well, you know, what's funny is uh, watching wrestling. WWE has gotten really bad about that. Like whenever there's action, like the camera's jumping around, like the cameraman's not getting hit by these punches. Stand still so I can see what's happening. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's just it's so pervasive in this show it's anytime even if it's just characters running away from somebody it's shaky cam while they're running to make it seem more i don't know i don't even know if it makes it more exciting to me it just it makes it less exciting it's like adding dynamic without effort it's it's lazy filters it's you know yeah it's yeah it's a it's a lazy way to cover up uh a lack of artistry in how you're doing your shots yeah, I think that that's a lot of what it is. Because then I, I compare that with Hawkeye, which doesn't do shaky cam and has really great action fight scenes where it isn't in shaky cam. It's very like still framed, showing stuff happening, and it is awesome because of it. They're taking time to really figure out how to frame the action really, really well and make it great while also letting you see what's happening. Yeah, and that's that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great example. Like comparing those two things. Yeah, you want you want to be able to see the detail of the action, and when you're doing cheap tricks like shaky cam, it's so you don't have to like actually have good details, and that's like specifically not what we want. Um, and it's just, it's so funny. Like wrestling is always a good example for storytelling to me, and it's a good example with that too. It's like using the shaky cam is bad storytelling. You're trying to tell people like this is what's going on instead of just letting them see it, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like making the effects try to create an an emotional reaction rather than just letting the story speak for itself and create that emotional reaction naturally. Yeah. Yeah. So the show does a lot of those kind of shortcuts, also things where it's like we're expected to understand there's a lot of drama between these characters because they're acting dramatic right now and there's dramatic music playing even though it hasn't really established too much why there would be a lot of drama between these characters it does like a lot of that kind of thing 
those shortcuts to it. But aside from that, it's still kind of an enjoyable show. And it's, it's really fun to see the show adapted in that way or the books adapted in that way. Awesome. What is it on? Like it's on watch Amazon it? prime. Okay. I might try to check that out with my wife. Cause she likes, uh, she likes the sci-fi stuff and I like getting her hooked on a TV show that I don't care as much about. So I can do what I feel like. There you go. <laughs> it's a good one to get hooked on because it's very complicated. It's, uh, it's game of Thronesy in that, characters have a lot of complicated motivations that aren't always apparent on the screen Mm -hmm. and the things they say may not be aligning up with their true intentions and there's a lot of people at cross purposes and it's a lot of who can you trust who can't you trust then it's just these five young kids thrown into the middle of this to try to find their way through all this at the same time. So there's there's a lot there to enjoy, I think, and, and really get into in that way. How is it, like being on a streaming service, there's kind of no bounds with, um, I don't know, tastefulness, I guess, like Game of Thrones using that as an example. Uh, lots of nudity and sex and, and gory violence. Like, is it more tastefully done than that? I, I'm guessing it's not as extreme as Game of Thrones. It's not as extreme as Game of Thrones. I, I don't think there's been... Uh, I think there's been one butt, <laughs> the whole the whole show one one man butt, and um, the language is fairly mild. It's not too bad. The gore is uh, there. There's some gory stuff at times, but most of the gore is more suggested than it is blatant. Okay, um, it, which is actually kind of interesting because. The original books, a lot of the gore and bad stuff wasn't described in grim, grisly detail like in, say, Game of Thrones, those books. Mm-hmm. It explains what's happening, but it doesn't go into, you know, the excruciating, bloody, gory details of it. It just kind of explains what was happening. And in a way, the show is a lot more horrific than the books because it shows a lot of the stuff that's happening. Like it shows the characters doing the things and it's, even if it's not as blatant in your face, gory about it, it's still, you you can't not see like what the person has done. You know, it's like people getting hands chopped off and being burnt at the stake and stuff like that. It's even when it's not shown in terrible detail, it's still, you get that, Ooh, that's terrible feeling from just yeah. seeing that it's happening on screen versus reading about it when it doesn't go into a lot of detail, it doesn't seem quite as bad. And, and that's, what's interesting is the books kind of seem like kind of lighter fantasy fare in some ways. But when you really think about what's going on, they are really hardcore gnarly books. And the TV show goes a little more into that than the books does. So it's definitely not as gratuitous as game of thrones but it's not like child's fair it's maybe like teen level i guess i would say if i had to guess that's a good way to put it yeah Yeah. that's good good to know for you know how it might resonate with my wife yeah i i think your your wife might like it it's probably not quite for sammy yet oh no i I wouldn't i think he'd be bored with it He's, uh, you know, it's funny, like, he's he's not much of a 
TV watcher. Like, he likes watching YouTube videos. But even, like, Christmas movies, if we ask him, he'll just, like, he won't want to put them on. It's like he doesn't want to commit to something, kind of. Um, but if we just put it on, then he'll watch it. Um, he So he's nine, and it's it's cracking me up. He, like, he's, he's never liked kids' music, but he's liked music, and... He'll listen to different stuff that, like, you know, my wife plays or whatever. Um, usually, like, if we're driving around, it's like she she picks the station we listen to anyways. And he has, like, he now officially has a favorite artist, Barnes Courtney. And it, just, it cracks me up that, like, you know, he, last night while I was at work, he listened to the Barnes Courtney CD we have five times in a row while playing in his room. <laughs> uh, kids are funny. And it's just yeah. so funny to like, he, he's never liked kids music. You know, it's like the cliche is like, oh, you're going to be driven nuts by all this kid stuff. And like, no, he just didn't like it. He'd rather listen to regular music. Like even Christmas music. He never really liked like the bubbly kitty stuff. Like he'd rather listen to, um, you know, like, um, you know, like Charlie Brown Christmas music where it's much more like kind of musical jazzy stuff like that, you know, like stuff with, um, like he's drawn to like good music, not just what kids are expected to like hmm. okay makes sense yeah cool well i think maybe that's the place to wrap this one up we've been going about an hour so it is yeah i i feel like we touched on just half of what we probably could have in in this big catch-up well it was good to meander and and kind of catch up and talk about this and that it was it's nice to just do something for fun sometimes yes <laughs> who could have guessed <laughs> <laughs> all right cool well, I will talk to you again soon, Paul, and all you out in podcast land, thank you for tuning in. Yeah, see you in like a month again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Stop.